I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a best way home. That's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. I fake a smile November until opening day. Suffering baseball withdrawal around the clock. When April comes, hey, meet me down on Yawkey Way. That's when Red Sox Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball as well as MLB wide hot stove. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Player FM, and basically wherever you can find it on Google. For those of you who do listen via iTunes, if you could take literally just a minute or so to Give us a rating and review that drastically improves our visibility within the iTunes app, which is where the bulk of our audience comes from. Literally nothing you could do would help us uh, more greatly than that. So we would appreciate it very much. I am Terry Cushman and I am joined as always by Jeremy Schilling and Liz Churchville. How are you? I'm good. And Liz? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Good to go. Well, all right. Uh, Plenty to talk about, and uh, it really developed uh, throughout the afternoon into the evening. Uh, The top story as far as Red Sox Nation is concerned is the fact that they seem to be nearing a deal with Nathan Evaldi, which is said to be worth as much as four years, $17 million per year, which uh, works out to be $68 million overall. I'm not crazy about it, but uh, Jeremy, I'll, uh, I'll let you lead off. Um, I mean, I'm not so elated that it's like i think it's the best signing or contract the red sox have made in the last five years because i think that distinction at least for now goes to somebody like jd martinez but when yesterday the market gets set for corbin six years 140 million dollars we're going to get to him in a minute when you tell me that you can get a valdi for four and 68 it's a no-brainer to me um and obviously the big difference uh, is going to be the health questions of all these had two Tommy Johns. We've talked about it, one in high school and then one, um, I think, in between his Yankee and Ray, uh, double Ray year. Um, I might not be 100% on that last part of that, but it, he has had two Tommy Johns, and I think that's why um, he's going to be maxed at four years. The AAV of 17 is not out of the realm of what I did when I predicted this. I had him at two years i think it was 15 million so two years 30 million with a vesting for a third um and so this isn't 
if there was a, a, a market for him uh, in the four-year realm, and you're telling me that you can get him for four years at $17 million, to me that seems like a really um, doable contract. Um, and it, it's not so bad. It's not, it's not even what Porcello got. You know, just, just for another um, contract to kind of put things in perspective here. My last thought is um, is something I just read on Twitter by uh, Mark Feinsand, at Feinsand. And the tweet is, an executive from the club believed to be in on Nathan Evaldi said he has heard Boston is closing in on a deal, adding that in his eyes, the market is really just the Red Sox at this point. So I expect this thing to get done. I don't know find this at find sand guy, so I don't know how reliable that is. But I expect this to get done. We were talking off air. We all like immediately agreed that Evaldi wants to be a Boston Red Sox. This makes sense. He gets rich. He doesn't break the bank. He uh, he keeps dollars available to Mookie and to Xander to the extent that we can sign those guys. And uh, it, it's a guy that has already proven that he can pitch in this city. Well, I mean, I'm pretty much towing the same line that I have been all along. Um, you mentioned Corbin, and to be fair, you know, I, I guess for me to really compare them both, it would be easier for me to start with Corbin because I think that contract is even more horrendous than this potential uh, Evaldi deal, and I'll get to that in a minute, but I just wanted to, to lay that out before I did get to Evaldi. Um, I don't care what Evaldi's annual value is. I, I care more about the years and the fact that, you know, I don't want a, a super long-term commitment with this guy. And it's like I've said all along, in mid-September, we didn't know what his role was going to be in the playoffs. It, you know, he might have been the three or four starter. He might have been in the bullpen. He just was absolutely putrid, could not could not pitch five full innings to, to save his life. And then the last, I don't know, week or so, he had a really good start against the Yankees, a really good uh, start. I think it was an abbreviated start. They took him out after four innings, uh, basically just to rest him. But he was he was brilliant for four innings against Baltimore. And I think that's what sealed it for him to get those starts in the playoffs. And against the Yankees, he was brilliant. But he was brilliant all year against the Yankees. In his second start as a Red Sox, he completely shut them down over uh, eight full innings. And then the other start after that, which came within the last week or so of the season, he went six full, never gave up a run. So 14 innings, no earned runs whatsoever. So it wasn't a shock to me that he shut them down. He That's what he does. He's really good against the Yankees. And the Dodgers similarly are, you know, they live and die by the long ball. And, it, you know, their lineup played similar to you know, to his pitching repertoire, and, and he looked really good. And we're going to base four years on two teams he was going to destroy anyway. That That's, I'm really uncomfortable with that. You know, scale out of, of one to ten, how much do you love Heath Hembree? Scale of uh, one to ten. 
Uh, 6.8. Oh, come on. That's so high. He was so bad. I mean, he didn't, he was hardly used in the playoffs. But that's the guy who's going to be coming in in May, you know, when Evaldi leaves the fifth inning with one out and two runners on against the Tampa Bay Rays or the Toronto Blue Jays. And then we're going to be winging it with the bullpen. And I'm just, I'm not comfortable with that. We're not going to win 108 games next year, and we don't know that Chris Sale is going to be stout for, we know he's probably not going to be stout for six months. We're hoping he will be for the three or four that he has been, but we don't know that. We don't know that Rick Porcello isn't going to be the way he is on odd-numbered years. You know, 2015 he sucked, 2017 he sucked. You know, it's been every other year. All right. He's a career... You know, 420 guy, roughly. I'm just, I want somebody more proven, more solid than Nathan Avaldi. I just, there, there's better guys out there for similar money. And I don't want to be stupid about it. All right. Well, Liz, would you like to do your open or, and, and then I will attack Terry? Uh, <laughs> or, or do you want to let me attack Terry and then, and then you can do your open? I, I, I'll, let's go with you doing your open and then I'll attack Terry. Well, I guess I had a question, uh, really, like when it comes to us agreeing that Avaldi wants to be a Red Sox, and maybe this doesn't matter at all, but, but him saying that he really, you know, wanted, you know, wanted to be with the team. You know, could that potentially have maybe not completely turned off interest? You know, of other teams. Obviously, he's a he. They don't they don't think like a fan. Like it's not like that. You know, for them. But could that have made him go? Hmm. You know, maybe like what are other options versus a player saying something like, you know, I'd I'd like to stay with this team, but I want to go wherever I can win. You know, I feel like those are two different statements. Do you think that played any role in the maybe supposed lack of interest from other teams? Because it seemed like there was a lot of chatter. You know, oh, is are the Yankees looking at him? Are are the Astros looking at him? You know, who's looking at him? You know, that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, now just from that one tweet, which could be completely wrong. You know, oh, it seems like only the Red Sox are thinking about Avaldi now. Do you think that comes into play at all in any way? Or, um. Given your hypothetical, I don't because the option is, you know, sign here because this is where I'm comfortable or go a place I can win. Well, you, you can win in Boston. You just did win in Boston. So that's kind of a tough narrative to sell when really what you're saying is I'm going to go where they pay me the most, which, by the way, I'm OK with. That's the way I would handle it. But that's not what these guys do. And if, if he if he did that, then he would have to be transparent that it's about the money because the Red Sox are completely loaded. They already won just trampled through the playoffs. So um, I don't blame people for getting as much money as possible. And I thought that's what Evaldi would do, but I've been proven wrong. I think the factor is, is that he's been out there flapping in the wind for six uh, weeks and there's information we don't know about. Um, There has been, I guarantee you there's been uh, numbers uh, batted back and forth. And I think Evaldi is, has got enough information from the other clubs involved to know that he's going to get somewhere near the market from Boston, which is all he wanted to know. I mean, mm-hmm. three days ago, we heard the Yankees were, were in heated discussions with him. And I bet you he got from the Yankees some numbers where he can he can either get something close or somewhat close to that where he felt like it's a good enough uh, – the market was set and that he could go to Boston on, on similar dollars. 
do you think something like uh, like obviously it came out after the national signed Corbin that which I know we'll talk about later um, that um, the Yankees had offered him five years but he passed that up and then the Nationals gave him six. Do you think? I mean, and maybe I didn't see it or maybe it wasn't put out there that the Yankees offered Evaldi less, maybe same money, maybe a little more, but less amount of time, and that's why they. You know, that seems non-existent. The Yankees probably haven't really had time to make a formal offer, and that's what I'm clinging to right now. They've only, in the last 24 hours, finished runner-up or, or maybe third in in the uh, Corbin sweepstakes. So, um, and, and I thought their offer to Corbin, I mean, f- we will get into it, but they offered Corbin... A hundred million over over five years, so basically a Porcello deal with one year added in, and and they were smart. They walked away. They walked away. The Nationals were going to give them stupid money, and they walked away. And the the Red Sox, I mean, the market for Evaldi should have been two years. You know, at whatever annual value you want to assign, you know, fifteen to twenty million a year. That's what it should have been, but. It got inflated because he was a hero in October, and and the Red Sox right now seem to be the front runners. There's nobody else willing to go beyond 17 four years. That's 68 million overall. And here's the other thing I think about: if the Yankees walk away from that, I mean, what does that say about Evaldi? Because look at it from the Yankees' standpoint: are they better off? with him on his roster, or are they better off facing him and getting destroyed however many series we play them a year? That's probably at least three or four starts, and then potentially again in the postseason. So if they're willing to get destroyed by him, and they're not going to match the Red Sox and kind of pull him away from us, I mean, what, what does that tell you? What does that tell you about Nathan Avoldi? And this was his only season as a non-Yankee. He was a Yankee all the way up till his Tommy John, and was okay in that market. wasn't great. He still his career ERA is still over over four, and he did have a fourteen win season with them with with an ERA still over four. So he must have had decent run support that year, but. I mean, I just feel like everybody else is being smarter than the Red Sox right now when it comes to him, and and they're knowing when to walk away. And and you know the Red Sox are gonna we're gonna have another bad four year contract, and and we just got done with one with Hanley Ramirez, and I'm just so sick of putting ourselves in these situations when there are other guys out there with similar money who are more proven, who have won a Cy Young, who have won a World Series as well, and pitched deep into other postseasons. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to get the worst value out of it. Yeah, those guys uh, you can't get for four years at $17 million per year. So you just can't. Now, a couple things that I want to go through. Um, first of all, you said a phrase that I just couldn't disagree with more. The market should have been two years. If people are willing to go to Publix or stop and shop in New England and pay $6 an apple, then that's what the market dictates. Not not because you think the apple should be $1.50. So if the general if the general public in my uh, really bad hypothetical is willing to pay that $6, then if you want to buy that apple, you're going to have to pay $6. 
So when you come to and apply that to baseball, the market could be, as you said, and I agree, I think two years is the ideal contract. That's not necessarily what the market dictates. That's not how, that's, market is, dictate by comp, is, is dictated by competition. Um, so I, I seriously doubt that the Yankees are in a, a fog still on Corbin. Like their cashman in that front office is sophisticated enough to move on to the next thing or to juggle things simultaneously. It's just not how business gets done. So frankly speaking, in my opinion, I think, uh, t- uh, Liz, to get to your question directly, I-, I wouldn't be surprised to find out if the Yankees were willing to go four years, 80, 85 million. He took that information to the Red Sox, Red Sox and said, look, I don't need 80, 85 million, but get close and I'm a Red Sox. That's they, speculative, that's though. That's speculative. Well, I, I agree. I agree. It is speculative because we don't have any information. Terry, speaking about speculations versus conclusions and fitting a narrative, you're, you're making conclusions about, well, you knew he was going to go into the playoffs and, and bury the Yankees, and you knew he was going to do this against the Astros. And then when you talk about other teams and the future, um, your conclusions on past events, which obviously those events hold true to your conclusion, are now are now unknowns and impossibilities when it comes to future events. He's a career so 420 what, guy. There's no he is I, who he is. That's those are what his numbers are. Okay. Um so my I, I don't disagree with you. He's coming off um where he's he's definitely getting healthy. Um now there, there's I mean no one can escape the fact that there's going to be risk um, and that's why I think this is going to be a four-year, $68 million deal if that's what it works out to be and not a four-year, $100 million deal um, because there's just an unknown and there is a chance that by the end of this contract he's hurt again and you and you lose him. Um, but if you can get two, three years, I think you take it, especially if you can, you can compete and win another World Series with this guy. And then even if you have to eat one year, it's worth it. I mean, those long-term deals always come with a tremendous amount of risk. We talked about it in the podcast where we talked about Harper and Machado. Um, so, I mean, that's where I'm at with it. I, I, I Keiko is, is interesting because Keiko's still available. Um, and I, I haven't heard much on him. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what's going on with Keiko. It seems like they like the fact that they know what they have with Evaldi. Um, you know, whether it be the training staff, the pitching coach, Cora, you know, management likes him. He's level-headed. They've obviously got to know him over the uh, since the trade occurred. So they obviously liked what they see, and they think that they that he could be a, um, you know, a starting pitcher uh, and really a pretty deep starting uh, pitching situation here with the Red Sox, which is going to extend into AAA now that they're going to re- hopefully re-sign Evaldi. Well, I mean, I've said you know. All, all, all that I really care to. I just, I mean, he's getting Mike Leak money. Mike Leak sucks. He's getting Ian Kennedy money. Ian Kennedy sucks. Um, I just. I well, and I get that, but you can either just sit pat and do with what you have and take zero risk. And frankly, in our situation with all the extra innings that have been thrown by this pitching staff with the World Series run, I think even that's a risk. Uh, Chris Sale just sitting and leaving the, ro- the depth of the rotation where it's at with Chris Sale, that's a risk. And so, you know, in these situations, it's all about your 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 evaluation of, you know, 
his elbow, which by the way, they've the medical staff has has seen, has dealt with. They they I think they feel pretty good that he's got a really good chance at least being healthy for the next two or three years. They they know what they they, they like what they see, and they feel like that's less of a risk than going into this into the season with either a somebody else or b without upgrading the the depth of the pitching rotation. Um, and so they they would rather. And by the way, let's not pretend we're not the Boston Red Sox. We're not Liz. No offense, but this is the. Uh, <laughs> The podcast-related insult at the Devil Rays. Mm. Where are the Boston Red Sox? And I know it sucks, especially when it's happened with Panda and Hanley wasn't nearly as bad, but we've had some bad deals at the Pedroia. The little leader's deal is an absolute albatross. Um, you are the Red Sox. You can accept this risk because at the end of the day, it's just dollars, and you have more dollars than everyone not named the Yankees. So it, it you know... But at the same time, you lengthen the starting rotation with Porcello, Price, Sale, Erod, Wright comes back. You still have Vasquez. Um, you know what? I think I just uh, Velasquez. Sorry. Um, so your your pitching, your major league pitching rotation with Avaldi stretches into the the first and the the ace and the second starter and and AAA. And on the flip side, who we're trying to beat and who is going to be our biggest competition. They only have four starters, and I think it just sets you again a farther ahead of the Yankees by doing this. Well, kind of, kind of going uh, off of Vivaldi into Corbin, uh, I guess you know one pitcher to another, and uh, one long contract uh, that pro- that maybe shouldn't be as long into another contract that maybe wasn't a smart thing uh, for it to be as long. Uh, how did you, I mean, we, I guess we know how Terry felt, you know, about uh, that contract and, and everything, but do you think, I mean, Jeremy, how do you feel about, you know, that, that particular situation, the, the length of it? I mean, the Nationals seem to be, like, touting him. I don't know much about him. Uh, admittedly, I don't see as much National League baseball as I wish I did. I know he was the, the one of the hot takes. You know uh, that was on the market, but um, but I don't I don't know too much. What, what are your feelings on him? I'm surprised by the length and the dollars. I, I just thought that six year deals were, weren't going to keep happening, and they hadn't been. Um, I, I, my memory immediately escapes me on the last pitching contract that was this long. Um, again, you know. He is a good pitcher, and he was the best of a, a, a at the most a mediocre free agent pitching class. Um, but it's just shocking that the Nationals had to go additional forty million dollars over what the Yankees were offering to get him, which to me suggests that he was going to be a Yankee, and then the 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 Arizona, I'm not sorry, not Arizona. The Nationals threw so much money at him that he couldn't say no. I think this is not dissimilar to what happened with Price and the Cardinals uh, three years ago where he was going to be a St. Louis Cardinal, if I have the team correctly. And then Boston swept in and just gave him stupid money and basically told him, hey, you can't say no. Um, So I think that's what happened here. It just doesn't make any sense why the Nationals had to pay that much more. Um, Now, with that said, I'm glad he's away from the Yankees. I'm glad he's in the National League. Um, I think the Nationals have enough issues where he's not going to get them over the top. Uh, anyways, um, but then it, what it's now going to do, in my opinion, and the effect that makes me smile is the Yankees again still only have four major league starting pitchers, and this to me is is the signal 
of what is about to be an overcompensation by the Yankees, and I can't wait to see what they do to overcompensate for not getting this guy. Dude, do you think that maybe this is, in a way, a little bit of an overcompensation on the Nationals' standpoint? Like, they already, they're not totally out of the market for to give Harper what he wants, obviously, but you know, maybe them not getting Harper, they didn't want to miss out on this one thing when they need when they needed a pitcher anyway. That's why they decided to throw a little bit more at him. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's fair, but I actually would theorize and I'm just admit to you that it's a theory, right? So like I don't know. Um but I would theorize that this is a signal to Harper, like, hey dude, we're in. We wanna win. We went and got the best guy. So come back. We're we're proving to you that we're going to be a competitor and we're going to do everything we can to be a competitor. So we just went and got the best guy in the market to to kind of show Harper we're we're not, you know, fucking around with this, dude. Come back. We're ready to win. We're ready to win now. Like a little back and forth cat and mouse like, "Hey, we offered you this. Oh, you didn't want it. You're going to test the waters. Oh, the Dodgers might give you more. Oh, the Phillies might give you more. Oh, look what we just spent, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Well, so so what if Harper meet cuz he's obviously meeting with teams, right? And you know, the Yankees are going to be interested regardless of whether they said they are or not. And what if what if Harper meets with the Nationals and like, guys, I grew up this was, you know, you guys drafted me out of high school. Like this is all I've known. I love this and it, you know, I love this fan base. This is, you know, what this is what I know but I don't think you're taking winning seriously enough. And so what do they do? Well, let's take winning seriously. Let's go get Patrick Corbin. Um, so I could be wrong. I, I think this is a, I think this is an attempt to keep, um, you know, this, and I know, I, I know this isn't a basketball podcast, but when the, when the Cavaliers were trying to re-sign LeBron James, they, they went out and re-signed, got like Tristan Thompson and Corver and these guys that, that were a signal to LeBron, like, hey, we've already got your guys here. Like, we're doing everything we can. We're doing what you think we, you know, what we think you want us to do. And look, I could be wrong. I, it's, again, 100% speculation, but I don't think this is, we've lost Harper, so let's spend the money on this guy. I think they're spending on the money on this guy to get Harper. Uh, getting uh, back to Corbin specifically, um, this is another example of coming into the 2018 season a six-year 140 million dollar deal was not even thought of you know and he ended up having a career year on his walk year and it's it's another extremely risky deal now he's He's pitched 200 innings twice. Uh, consequently, uh, when he did it in 2013, he did have Tommy John right after. Um, he came back short sample size 2015, had a 360 ERA, fell off a cliff in 20. Uh, excuse me, that was 2015. He had a 360 ERA. Uh, 2016, he fell off a cliff, 5.15 ERA. And uh, 2017, mediocre, you know, ERA just over four. And then this year, career year, he's pitched in a small market. He's extremely finicky. You know, he'll he'll have a few good starts, and he has the pretend, propensity to have a few more bad starts. And 
I think this is. I think there's a good chance that this could be a Sonny Gray situation all over again. And, you know, Gray came up in Oakland, similarly a small market, you know, like um, Arizona. You know, Arizona has one of the worst fan bases uh, in Major League Baseball, and they're going to, they're about to have a new stadium. So hopefully, hopefully that'll help address that. Not that Liz would, wouldn't know anything about that, but. Um, I just, I, I just think that was an unnecessary contract, and I was hoping the Yankees would sign him because there's just this whole division is a pressure cooker, you know. He, I just don't think he could pitch in a big market. I, I have some real reservations as to whether he could, he could have pitched. In Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, Toronto is always dangerous. They murder Rick Porcello every time, and I get that they're probably in their head, but they're a team that always seems to mash whether or not they do have Encarnacion or, or Bartista still there. They're just they they hit for power really well, and I just I would be really uncomfortable with that deal. I'd much rather have Avaldi, and you know. And I just, I just spoke really passionately on how I do. I do not want Nathan Avaldi to a four-year deal. And now the Nationals have him on a six-year deal. You know, because he, you know, he was able to parlay his walk year into the best of his career, and and then cash in on it. And the Yankees were smart enough to walk away. I, I don't know if that was the second best offer because there's a $40 million difference between the Nationals and the Yankees, so maybe the Phillies were a little bit north of 100. Um, but I don't know. And that's, I mean, uh, I forget the, where the Nets play, City Field or whatever. Probably, uh, you know, that's in New York. Probably not a great place to pitch if you don't like big markets. He's going to face the Phillies several times a year. I just, I think the Nationals are really going to hate this contract. And um, I'm glad we weren't the ones to give it to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we have no, we had no interest in this guy at that term whatsoever. I mean, so I don't think we disagree with that. Um, Actually, I can I make one more observation here? Um his numbers are very similar to Eduardo Rodriguez. Their whips about the same. Uh, their career ERA is is fairly close. Uh, you know, Rodriguez spends more time on the DL than Corbin does. But um, you know, just assume that Rodriguez is giving you the same numbers, but with a normal amount of innings. And then I said, all right. We're giving him 140 million. <laughs> it's like, isn't that insane? Like, if uh, let's put it this way: say Rodriguez has his career numbers, 2019's his walk year. He has a 3.30 ERA and pitches 190 innings. Do you still give him? Do you still give him 140 million? Are you talking about Erod? Erod, yes, and Eduardo Rodriguez. Are you out? Of, are you are, are you out of your fucking mind? Uh, that's the Nationals are out of their fucking mind. They the, their numbers I are similar. I don't. I don't. I don't disagree with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, dude. At the end of this day, you have to. You, you, 
you're you're in a situation, and the free agent class is the free agent class, and this isn't the NFL and NBA where you can just go draft a guy and then plug and play, and that guy is cheap because he's on his rookie deal. This, this is baseball. You know, you have to go if you want to improve within a given year. Your 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 free agent class is the is the draft of the NFL, except the difference being that. You don't get the guy in a rookie deal. You got to go sign him for 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 a lot of money and a lot of years. And you know, frankly, the Nationals were in need here, or they perceived the need, and the and the market did not dictate. Like you know, if you wait a year, Kluber is going to be available, Sale's going to be available, Porcello is going to be available, and I've just talked about three pitchers on two teams. Actually, Kluber uh, Kluber is locked up for three more years if you include oh, his options. I'm sorry. I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Bauer. Oh. I think expires after this year, and then he's going to be a one-year uh, per year. He said he's going to do one-year deals. I don't know, but I'm sorry. I meant Bauer on the Indians. Right. Same team. Wrong guy. Um, but I, but my point is unchanged. The, the free agent market was not great, and it's Corbin, Avaldi, Keuchel. For, and again, for some reason, Keuchel doesn't seem to be getting too many nibbles yet. And then what you you know what like what the Yankees did, which was go get Paxton on a trade because there's that I mean that's what the market is. It's not great, so they went and scooped him from Seattle um, with two years of arbitration left. Um, so it's it look I, do I would I do it if I'm the Washington Nationals? No, I agree with you on that, Terry. Um, but I can understand the desire to continue to stay relevant and continue to stay in the playoff hunt and try to improve on an underwhelming baseball team from last year. A lot of people had that team in Harper's contract slash walk year. They had that team being a potential favorite to win the whole thing, certainly come out of the East. Uh, obviously, no one saw the Braves coming, but notwithstanding that, the team underachieved and they needed help. They need help to get back and they you know, so I look again. <laughs> I don't like it. I wouldn't do it, but the market's the market, and if you see a need, you got it. You're gonna unfortunately have to go spend spend some money to get it. And, and will they regret at least a portion of this contract? Yeah, I think they will. And it could be right away. It could be. You could be right. It could be right away. He could not be. You know, there are people out there that get the money and then they just they don't care anymore. I, I haven't heard that that's in Corbin's makeup, but it's possible. I mean, you know? Sandoval. <laughs> Sonny <laughs> Gray could have well, had he that ate, deal. He ate the dollar bills. <laughs> that whole situation was so funny to me, and and whatever. And I'm sorry. Well, I guess I wasn't sorry, you know, because obviously I'm not a I'm not a Red Sox fan. But I, sometimes going out and spending the money doesn't get you what you want. And I'm always real skeptical. And maybe it's just it has no. It's just a feeling I get whenever a player jumps leagues like that. You just never know. It's such a it's such a such a crapshoot, you know, whether or not they're going to be they're going to be good. In in Sandoval's uh, case, like he did ultra bad for whatever reason. Why he would be, you know, seemingly as good as he was on one team and then turn around and be not even defensively as good uh, on another is beyond me. I don't know why that would you know be, but um, but yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to break in there. <laughs> Another thing about uh, the Yankees, because you guys did touch on that briefly, and how they, you know, kind of whiffed on this deal, or, or in my opinion, smartly walked away. 
they still have a great farm system, and unlike the Red Sox, they can go get Corey Kluber if that's what they want to do. So uh, I don't, I don't think the Yankees are, are stressing out over anything right now, you know. And if they want to get in on Evaldi, they can do that if they want to. But for whatever reason, they they don't seem to be active. And if if they don't do anything within the next, I would say probably 24 hours, then that that's probably a, a sure indication that they got other plans in mind, and and maybe they're either going to go for Keuchel or they're gonna they're going to explore the trade market again. And um, you know, and they've been for whatever reason willing to dangle Miguel Andahar out there. He comes up in in trade talks all the time, and. I mean, he's a one-for-one candidate, you know, where they could get a solid player, a solid pitcher for just him alone. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not really pointing and laughing at them right now because they're they they got a lot more options than we do. Um, and I'm not I'm not I'm sorry, thought you were done. And I just wanted to wrap up. I mean, Sonny Gray could have very well got a deal just like the one Corbin got, and then you know it, it would have been terrible. But we'll you know we'll we'll revisit that throughout the season, you know, and because eventually we're going to have to deal with the next trade market, and Corbin surely will be relevant one way or the other. If we're if we're moving on, I mean, I guess we're we're going to look at Goldschmidt, you know, next as far as because uh, that was something that happened today, and uh, you know him getting signed by the Cardinals and something that kind of stood out to me. Uh, I know he's been a Diamondback for I don't even know. I just had his page up like pretty much his whole forever. career, yeah, um, his whole career, yeah, um, and everything and and what the Cardinals gave up, you know, for him and not knowing very much, you know, about those players. Do you think, I mean, I know Goldschmidt was extremely solid. He's, you know, multi-year, all-star, all that kind of stuff. But do you think the Cardinals gave up gave up too much? Looks like they gave up a catcher, Carson Kelly, a pitcher, uh, right-handed pitcher, Luke Weaver, an infielder, and a, I think, a second-round draft pick. Yeah, they gave like, up the compen- compensatory pick. I, I that word's not in my vocabulary, yeah. clearly. But the compensation yeah. <laughs> pick, um, mm. they're going to get. The the headliner of that trade is Luke Weaver. He didn't have a very good uh, 2018, which was kind of basically his first full-time season. He did have two shorter sample sizes in 2016 and 2017. 2017, though, uh, 388 ERA on... Uh, 60 innings. I think that was 10 starts. And he had a 10.7 strikeout per nine. So that's pretty high. And then this year he kind of fell off the cliff, which I guess is kind of why they were willing to put him in a in a trade where they were only going to be getting Goldschmidt for one year. He had an ERA just under five. His strikeout per nine was um, eight point oh even so he he strikes out a lot of guys one way or the other so i'm not too familiar with him it, it looks like he probably has some command issues and 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 um excuse me st louis 
was willing to let him go in that deal. Carson Kelly uh, was the catcher. I think he came up a catcher, but he's actually since then been converted to an infielder, and his numbers are extremely dismal in his few call-ups at the major league level, uh, well under two. I think he, he's actually hitting a buck fifty-four. so he'll inevitably go back down to AAA and, and hope that they can... Um, kind of get him straightened out, but he's not going to be a guy that hits for power. He's a contact hitter, but his upside is reported to be very high, so um, taking a chance on him, but again, you know, they're, they traded a player who only had a one-year deal, so I, I think both sides made out pretty well here in terms of, you know, what what each side got for value. The, the word uh, the word blockbuster was thrown around, you know, quite a bit. And I mean, do you think that was just, you know, the media trying to garner more attention, or would you? I, I don't know that I would call it a blockbuster trade necessarily, but uh, how would you like? How would you feel about that, or would do you think it was? Why, why don't you go ahead, I mean, Jeremy? I think it's a blockbuster deal. I mean, Goldschmidt's a stud. This is a guy who's got silver sluggers. Multiple silver sluggers, multiple gold gloves, multiple top three MVP finishes. He's an absolute stud. He's just been buried in a shitty baseball town. So, and but I love the guy. I, he's big bodied. He stay he- He stays healthy. Um, he slugs. He he hits for for a decent average. Um, his on base, he you know he had ninety walks last year. I mean, the guy's an absolute stud. Now. I do see. It does seem like they got a, a commensurate around of um, a commensurate around of, of trade um, chips there. Um, I, you know, we're gonna have to talk to Chris on the on the minor league players because I just don't know them, especially in the other systems. But it seems to be a, a fair, a relatively fair haul given the circumstances. And not all fair, not all trades have to be won or lost. Sometimes trades can be good for both sides given their needs. The Cardinals had 88 wins and 74 losses last year. They were, what, three or four games away from a wild card berth. And they have to get better in a competitive division with Milwaukee and Chicago, and I think they did that today. Meanwhile, Arizona is an absolute dumpster fire. They, they did not put in any effort to re-sign J.D. Martinez, except for basically saying that we'd like him back, but they never offered him any real money. Uh, they, they did not, obviously, entertain any efforts to keep Corbin, and they basically it, it was clear that Goldschmidt was not going to be a Diamondback next year. So what do they do instead of doing what the the Nationals did, which is potentially put themselves in a position to lose Harper over for nothing? They went out and got some chips. So I don't blame them. It's smart um, to me, uh, not knowing the system very well or at all. But it seems on paper to me to be a smart business decision. Um, and then with the Cardinals. Goldschmidt slots in right in the middle of that lineup in a contract year. <laughs> so you get him for this, you get him highly motivated. And it seems like maybe they're loading up and think they can make a run at it. Um, they've got a really good base of players. Um, I don't, you know, now with Goldschmidt, they, I think they have a legitimate superstar. But previously they had a bunch of really good players, but no one that jumped off the page. Um, and now they have that guy. And, and I think this trade looks a lot better too if they sign Goldschmidt. Um, if they can get him for four years, eighty million, or, or something like that, five years, a hundred million, um, this trade looks a lot better because now you've you've put yourself in position 
you know, in a first uh, a right of first refusal type of situation where you get first crack at re-signing them. And if it works and you do, then this trade looks even better for the Cardinals. But right now, the way it is, uh, assuming that he does go into free agency, um, I don't. I, this this deal makes sense for both teams. Uh, a couple of things here. Um, I think it was smart for Arizona to avoid JD Martinez because I think Mike Hazen, who came from the Red Sox system and knows a thing or two about you know, working in a championship front office, kind of noticed that you know they they got a bad farm system, they've got some big contracts, and they're inevitably going to go through some type of a lengthy rebuild, whether it's two, three years, or or even longer than that. They do have uh, seven picks next year, seven draft picks within the first hundred overall so they're gonna get a chance to draft you know fairly highly and and then of course they got they got some prospects back today and I just feel like I just feel like Mike Hazen is is doing the right thing and accepting that you know he kind of walked into a little bit of a mess a lot of people don't know this but the day Grinky was signed he was signed at like 3 p.m. on like a Friday or something. And as of noon that day, there had been no prior conversations with him. So it came out of the blue. And then he, he was signed to like a $234 million deal over six years. And annually, he's the highest paid pitcher because he got all that on a six-year deal. So he makes 34 35 million a year but that was literally a spur of the moment signing and and Mike Hazen inherited that and Grinky hasn't been terrible but for a small market team that's that contracts a bit of a hindrance and I wouldn't be shocked if he gets moved later on there's been tons of chatter about it so uh you know maybe during the winter meetings next week um he could have a new home but I, I think the Diamondbacks are doing the right thing. And then going over to the Cardinals, I do expect Goldschmidt to have a J.D. Martinez effect on that team because it is his walk year and and guys tend to thrive you know, in the final year of their rookie deal. And like you said, Jeremy, three gold gloves. He is top three in war since 2013. Last year, he got off to such a terrible start in 2018. He was absolutely putrid. And people were freaking out because he really fell off the cliff in September of the season before and just was a complete non-factor in September. And I don't recall if he did much in the playoffs, but they did get swept in three games uh, to the Dodgers, if that says anything. So through the month of May last year, people were freaking out. And then he goes on to basically hit what his career numbers are. He was 290 in the batting average, 389 OBP, and uh, slugged at a uh, 533. So his OPS, 922, mashed 33 home runs, 83 RBI. And again, all that damage was done in the last four months. So I don't have I don't have that specific split in front of me, but he must have hit well over 300 in that span, given the fact that 
his first two months were terrible. So they're getting an absolute stud. Probably, I don't know, who's better in the National League perennially? I mean, I think only Arenado comes close year to year. And the fact that he's probably going to be hitting in the three spot with Marcel Ozuna behind him, he'll have Carpenter in front of him. He'll probably lead off as he did last year. So I don't know if if Yadier Molina, who's still raking, you know, you know, as he approaches his mid thirties, uh, they do have Paul DeYoung. So they got a very, a very good one through five to kind of surround him in. And the Cubs are a bit of a mess. I mean, they're extremely talented, so maybe they figure it out. But they do have some bad contracts. I don't think Pittsburgh's really going to be a factor. Milwaukee, who knows? They haven't really made any moves yet. Surprisingly, all their coaches basically bolted for other teams. Kind of surprised me a little bit. But, um, you know, they, you know, Milwaukee could be competitive, but I don't think there's a clear cut favorite in that division right now. And, and even if you, you do want to give it to the Cubs, there's, you know, the, the Cardinals are going to are gonna contend one way or the other and very easily could, you know, end up in one of the two wild cards. So that was a really good move for them. And I would have done that, you know, versus going after Harper or Machado and, and you know, trying to sign Goldschmidt because where he's entering his age 32 season, he's going to come at a bit of a discount from those other two. And... I just, that's probably one of my favorite moves of the offseason so far. I mean, it sounds like we're kind of on the same page there, maybe for slightly different reasons. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's perennial, very good, Arenada. Chris Bryant, maybe. Um, But I think he definitely changes the dynamic of that division. The thing with the the Brewers that shocks me just briefly, the fact that they haven't got out and gotten any starting pitching just blows my mind. Like if they think they're just going to ride their bullpen again and and all those guys that caught lightning in a bottle offensively are going to do it again, they're out of their mind. I expect them to be one of the team that significantly regresses in 2019. So, And that, that in and of itself may open the door for the Cardinals regardless of Goldschmidt. But now they have Goldschmidt, and maybe that puts them ahead of the Cubs. So it's an interesting move, um, and I think it's a good move. I agree as well. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get into the uh, last segment here. Uh, how are we doing on time, by the way? I feel like we're doing good. Yeah, we haven't yeah, even under an hour. I think yeah. surprisingly. <laughs> okay. Um, I should have the whole uh, trade up in front of me, but uh, I'm slacking right now. Uh, Gene Segura was uh, traded from the Seattle Mariners to the um, Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Interestingly, um, that was a a possible destination for Manny Machado. J.P. Crawford was the the centerpiece uh, going back to Seattle in that deal. Admittedly, I'm not as familiar with him as I probably should be. Um, Also, interestingly, um, Carlos Santana, who signed a three-year, $60 million deal 
uh, overall with the Phillies last season was very disappointing. Didn't live up to the deal. He's going to go to Seattle, uh, you know, as part of that, and he'll have two years, forty million remaining. The the other interesting thing about that is Reese Hoskins, who's their stud prospect, probably could be the next Paul Goldschmidt for all we know. Will uh, will go from left field back to first base, which is his natural position. He was a huge defensive liability in left field, so he goes back to first now. Segura will be at shortstop, and I don't know. I mean, they could still go after Machado if he's willing to play third, but they got an opening in the corner outfield. Happens to be the type of position Bryce Harper plays, so um, I, I just I just wonder if they're kind of getting away from Machado at this point with the Segura deal. And just a, the mind blowing thing about Segura here is three years in a row he's hit 300 or better. Actually, he's stolen at least 20 bags, sometimes as much as uh, 35. Uh, in all of his full-time major league seasons, but like I said, a minimum of at least 20. And he's got four years remaining with an option in 2022, all at cheap money. Four of those five years, $14 million per year. The option would be for $17 million. So <laughs> that's a value signing right there. I like the signing. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I like that um, Philadelphia stopped waiting around for things to happen. Now, what I had heard on Corbin with Philadelphia is that Philadelphia basically did what the Yankees used to do, which was they said to Corbin, we'll pay more than anybody else, so make us your last phone call. And from what I'm seeing on Twitter from people I from, – from, from the baseball Twitter accounts I follow that I trust – that phone call was never placed, which was, well, one, if you're Corbin, is a little bit surprising because it seems as if he chose the most amount of money. And if he chose the most amount of money, why didn't he make that last phone call, where, which promised to be even more money? Um, but this, this to me, um, it's a good move. And I think Philadelphia, it, it doesn't have any effect on them wanting to spend $300 million. Um, and, and, they have a ton of money. They've already said they've promised their fan base that they're going to spend. So they're, they're, they have to. I mean, this to me means, with Corbin out of the picture, this means to me that they're going to go Harper Machado. I like the Segura deal, um, again, for an additional reason, which is Machado, we'll pay you $300 million, but you're going to your, play your correct position. We're not going to – we're not going to placate your desire to play shortstop because that doesn't make us better in the long run or now. We want you offensively. You're a good, you know, I think he won a gold glove at third base. So you're an above average defensive third baseman. You're not an above average shortstop. So we'll pay you the $300 million, but get in line and get third because Segura is a great shortstop. Um, and if they can't and if he doesn't want to do that, if he wants to go play shortstop and someone else is going to give him the money, then – they could. I think they will sign Harper, and I think that's certainly a possibility, like you mentioned. Um, so um, I, I think it makes sense that Philadelphia is not sitting there just waiting to spend money on someone who's probably going to be a bad contract. So I think it's a smart deal. Um, 
don't know much about the prospects. Again, I got to defer to Chris on that, but um, you know, I think it makes Philadelphia immediately better. And and they're another team that looked like they were getting ready to even make a run there in August, and then kind of fell off. And um, you know, uh, in the face of just the rest of the division being better, so this makes them better. Which you got to give teams credit that are willing out to go out there and do the things that 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 are going to make you know make them better by games. And this this is going to have an effect on two or three games in in the in the win column. And and oh, go ahead, Liz. Oh, sorry. No, I, I was just going to say and and really like if it plays out the way the way that you were saying, you know, maybe this almost gives them the power like if they're willing to spend the 300 million and they could go either now harper or machado like it's almost like they've got that power balance now because they've got an amazing guy you know for a while at shortstop now and now they're like well we we could put harper here you know they're almost pitting you know harper and machado against each other potentially you know if they if they were going to get one or the other I wonder, I don't know that that played into what they're doing, but, you know, it could end up, you know, happening that way. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, I think they're going to definitely make the most aggressive push for Harper, though I have been hearing, it, it does seem to be getting more and more popular that maybe he does go back to the Nationals, but for the time being, I still feel like, there's a good chance Harper will be a Philly. And if that doesn't work, and if all else fails, they're still a better team in in 2019 than they were in 2018. And then when they come into 2020, uh, actually, I think I was about to botch that. Mike Trout, I think, one way or the other, is going to be on their radar. Because, I mean, he's from, the, he's from South Jersey, which is, you know, right next door. And... It just seems like there's a bit of mutual interest there. The Angels have been a dumpster fire organization for much of the last decade. And, you know, there's talk that they want to give him a lifetime contract, but who knows if he really accepts it. You know, it would be really dumb for him to not test the free agent market. And I just, I think the Phillies have their eye on him. And the one quote, the exact quote from the Phillies owner was that they were willing to spend money and to perhaps be a little stupid about it. Those were his exact words. So um, that, that's got Bryce Harper written all over it. And maybe it'll also have, maybe the dream is to have him and Trout, you know, on the corners or whatever, you know, within a year that- or two. That that would be interesting. That was my hypothetical interesting to see a team with both of them on it. Um, so yeah. I understand. I understand. My my understanding on Trout is what Terry has already articulated. Um, so the thing, the one thing I think of when the some chips start to fall and the Phillies go out and get Segura instead of sitting and waiting for Machado. And the Yankees go out and trade for Paxton. And the fact that these two weren't the first guys off the board, to me it means their 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 market is shrinking. Um, I'm going to assume the Nationals are still involved. I'm going to still assume the Yankees are involved. But I, I'm not exactly sure what are some of the other options available to, to these two guys. Um, 
the Cardinals obviously now they're 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 out. The the Mets have spent um, on the Cano deal, although they shed some money. Um, it just seems to me that that this is a potential where in the next two days you may see one of these guys sign with the Phillies, and then the next guy to sign is just going to get less because the market's going to shrink quickly when once the Phillies are out of it because they've signed one or the other. Um, so. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, it's just it's to me, this has been a weird off season because nothing really happened for the, you know, basically until two days ago. And now some a couple of major chips have fallen, but not the big guys, not not the guys we all, you know, the the first the hot stove podcast we did was on these guys and they're still out there. So I don't know. Um, I, I still think Machado is going to go to the Phillies. That just to me makes sense. And I and I still think, and I'm sticking with my prediction that Harper goes back to Washington on the 10-year, 300 million dollar deal they already offered him. But um, you know, we'll see. Uh, my my prediction as well was that Harper would uh, go to the go back to the Nationals, but um, I, I still my current gut feeling though, several weeks later is. Is the Phillies? I I think I don't think a signing will happen until probably next week at the winter meetings. Um, I, I think Boris will get everybody together, and um, you'll see at least one of the two get signed. I uh, I was trying to Google it right now. Uh, Harper is or might have just had a face to face meeting with the Dodgers, so. I wouldn't rule them out just yet, but I have no idea what, you know, what the expectations are, you know, from either party as far as uh, the Dodgers go. But um, outside of the Nationals and Phillies, that's probably the only other uh, likely scenario. Uh, another guy, I'm going to pull him up right now. This is a potential risky signing, but... Um, could be a good value signing, especially if the Phillies do want to kind of wait for Trout. But that is uh, AJ Pollock, and Pollock got off to a really good start uh, in 2018. He was looking like a surefire top three MVP candidate, but broke his thumb on a uh, diving uh, outfield play in center field, and that kind of hampered him for the rest of the year and. He had, I want to say, a groin injury. Let's see, that was in 2016. So he he doesn't play 100. And in fact, he's only played more than... He played 137 games in 2013, 157 in 2015, and has played considerably less. 112 in 2017, 113 last year due to the thumb injury. So... There's, you know, some injury liability there, but he he would probably be inexpensive. I'm guessing no more than a three-year deal. Has um, plenty of pop. Uh, you know, he's basically, you know, a, a 2080 guy if he's healthy. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not he's not a bad candidate to fall back on. I was trying to find an excuse for the Red Sox to maybe. You know, I don't know. Take a peek, but there's no way they're getting rid of Bradley. So um, 
no chance whatsoever that he'll end up with us. But just a thought. And, you know, he's he's got tremendous upside. So I'll just end it with that. Yeah, good player coming off an injury. I, I don't know. I don't think he signs a multi-year deal. I think if, if the multi-year deals aren't out there at an AAV he can swallow, I think he goes out and tries to prove it next year. Um, so I understand he's he's been talking with the Mets, which leads me to believe that he's not going to be looking at a big-time deal. But who knows? The other thing I want to mention uh, before we sign off tonight is uh, Dave Roberts got a, a deal with the Dodgers, I think I saw. Um, that to me just makes too much sense I, I was always baffled that he was being punished for not winning a World Series when getting a team, when getting the Dodgers there two years in a row which is so difficult um, I've already talked about how I'm worried about the Red Sox arms holding up with the additional stress, stress of last October this guy has taken the Dodgers two World Series in a major market he obviously knows what he's doing he's a winner and the fact that for whatever reason, there was even a discussion that they were going to not have him be the manager of that club. It just made no sense to me. I hadn't heard of some major thing where, where you know, you, uh, major American sports, sometimes the like just in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers uh, finally pushed Mike McCarthy out. Um, I hadn't heard anything like that. So just uh, Red Sox hero back in 04 with the stolen base. Um, not that I care now what happens to him, but it just to me makes a whole ton of sense that, that this guy got a multi-year deal and he's going to continue to coach the Dodgers, and they're probably going to be in the hunt again in 2019. So just a thought from final thought from me. There, that situation was more uh, intense than you might anticipate, though. Um, I'm clearly not prepared. I'm trying to pull him up right now. Uh, Farhan Zaidi was basically the muscle man behind Andrew Friedman in the uh, Los Angeles front office. And he was working out a deal with Dave Roberts, and I think they had a three- or four-year deal tentatively kind of worked out. But then Zaidi accepted the GM role or president role, whatever, they all have fancy titles now uh, with the Giants. So he's basically the top executive within the Giants organization. So once he left, that kind of put Roberts in limbo, and they initially only uh, picked up the option for next year. And the other interesting thing is that Andrew Friedman only has one year left on his deal. So there was a lot of guys kind of in limbo. So... Roberts finally does get worked out here, and I, I can't imagine Friedman's going to go anywhere else unless he wants to, unless another, you know, team offers him, you know, their top, you know, executive role at at more money. But I mean, he's in L.A. It's the Dodgers. I can't imagine he's going to leave. But also, though, there's all the great debate, you know, on West Coast baseball is how much control does Dave Roberts really have you know and there's a lot of rumors that he he takes all of his orders from upstairs and just simply delegates and whatnot and I've talked to some Dodgers bloggers you know in the last week or so and 
I get conflicting answers from them, so nobody really knows. But apparently Zaidi was the hardcore analytics guy, and now he's out of the way. So maybe Roberts kind of has a little bit more flexibility on his own to manage this team one way or the other. And in the first two games of the World Series at Fenway Park, their top power hitter, Cody Bellinger, was on the bench those first two games until until Price and Sale both came out of the games because they're a hardcore analytical team. They didn't want him facing lefty. It's just absolutely insane to me. If Mookie Betts had terrible numbers against these guys, or even or even Bogarts, take your third best hitter. I don't care how bad Bogarts' numbers are against whoever. He would still be in my lineup. But they took Bellinger out, Max Muncy, their first baseman, one of their better offensive players. He also was on the bench for much of those first two games. So um, if Roberts doesn't call the shots or hadn't been up, you know, up until you know this offseason, I hope he gets the chance because by all accounts, he's a smart baseball guy, and I just. I just I don't think any front office should be should be managing the team. I think I'm just so thankful that Alex Cora calls the shots 100%. And and you know our theory beat their theory in the World Series, and and I hope that always happens. You know in the future. Oh, I didn't mean to go on a long thing. Well, that, no, but. I mean. Uh, we, we, we hit that, and um, the night that we, we won the World Series in the podcast after. So, I mean, I I feel like that I, that from what I've read too, um, the ownership did restrict his ability to operate independently. Um, but with that said, doesn't that go to the fact that even with that happening, he's able to get this team back to two World Series? So to me, it just seems like he makes the most of whatever the situation is, and there, in a in a in a sport where the manager doesn't have as much effect like it does in the in the NFL, we we witnessed here in Boston a manager get in the way of what could be a big deal. Um, John Farrell sucked. Mm-hmm. The players hated him. Um, he was such a poor like. I'm a big believer in Major League Baseball that I don't think the manager necessarily can win you. Like he, a manager is not going to have a war. He, he's not going to have like this guy's can win us three games we wouldn't ordinarily win. But a bad manager can cost you games. Exactly, and, and can have an effect on you know making um, you know being three games out of a wild card versus you know getting the first wild card. So. Um, in my life, you know, to me, this guy's not losing your games. Uh, I, the whole World Series, the way they handled that seemed to me to be in their own heads. And what I said after the World Series was they didn't feel like they could beat the Red Sox straight. So they tried to do stuff that was outside of their comfort zone. Didn't seem to me and what I read again, that wasn't from Dave Roberts. So just in a sport where you have a lot of managers out there losing your games, this is a guy that that it was too good to be to let go and you know maybe one of the topics we can talk about on the next podcast is what i believe to be um a problem a systematic problem in almost all major american sports but certainly baseball where 
the trigger on managers is just too short. Um, and and to see this guy get the extension, to me, he so clearly deserved. It, it just shows to me that the Dodgers are going to continue to be a factor. Well, and and I was just thinking too. It, it almost seems like in baseball, just looking at the tenured managers, you almost get faulted more for like almost getting somewhere than you do from just kind of floundering in mediocrity. You know, when I look at what long contracted managers are still out there, like maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, you know, about that, but that's just kind of how it seems. Like teams that are, you know, pushing and wanting to win, if you're almost getting there, they're like, "Well, let's let's try somebody else now." Like you're almost there, but clearly you're not getting the job done, so let's try somebody else. You know, kind of a thing where if if you're somebody um you know, like the Angels or like the Pirates, you know, they, they keep around a manager that they could have fired, you know, and obviously would have still had to pay if they wanted to be competitive, but for some reason are letting them kind of dwell, you know, in that space for whatever reason. Yeah, and there's a formula that plays out, and it's like not unlike a stock. The stock goes up, and you're just looking at it, and you're smiling, right? So the, the team wins. You, you inherited a bad team. They win 78 games. Then they win 82 games. Then they win 87, and they're just shy of the playoffs. Then they make the playoffs. Then they make the World Series, but then the next year they don't make the playoffs. That guy's getting fired. That guy's getting fired despite the fact that he had five years of, of improvement on a team that he inherited that wasn't just not a good team. And so it's like a stock where it goes up, up, and up, and the first day it goes down, you sell it. Well, <laughs> I mean, now with the Red Sox, it was, it was so clear that John Farrell's a moron. Right, and he and his personality was just a, a disease in that locker room. Everyone hated him, so I get it. But there are certain times where you know the Angels. You can call, you, and you guys call him a dumpster fire. I, I I'm a little bit softer on that narrative. Sosha Sosha was allowed a you know a really long leash, and he was by all accounts a really really good manager. Uh, Bobby Cox had some failures when he had really stacked Braves teams. Uh, the the ownership that that trusts the leaders they put in place, even when they do have a dip uh, in production, um, seem to have longer um, uh, a longer window. And look, you're not going to get to the World Series next year, so I guarantee you, I guarantee you, next year the Dodgers only get in the wild card, but then you know win the wild card game, then lose in the NLDS. All the fire Roberts narrative is coming right back. Why? Because he didn't make a third World Series, because he didn't win a World Series, like it's just to me, it's just it's wrong, and it doesn't make a lot of sense when, when again, like Terry alluded to, Dave Roberts is touted as a as a as an above average baseball mind and obviously a good leader. Well, here's a here's an extreme example uh, for you, and I'm I'm kind of probably stealing uh, Liz's thunder, but um, Joe Madden. This is the first year, uh, you know, in the last four years that he didn't get to the NLCS, you know, after doing it three years straight. And Theo Epstein does not want to pick up his option this year. And it's just being widely speculated that he's going to be let go at the end of 2019. And maybe that's for Joe Girardi. That That's one rumor. But I think that's insane because... He's one of those guys that, you know, will probably have a job, you know, no matter what, for as long as he wants to wants to manage. I think 
it's tough. I go back and forth whether he or Francona is is the greatest of our era, and maybe I'm biased when I give it to Francona, but there's a lot of genius in the way Madden manages teams. Like he's got a lot of a lot of tricks in his bag, and I mean, how, who who is better than Joe Madden if if it's not Francona? Like, who do you replace Joe Madden with? That's insane. I'll be. I think. I think they'll be disappointed, uh, no matter what. Maybe I'm biased, but it's funny that we were just talking about Roberts, and now we're talking about Madden because uh, I actually saw a little weird, blurby, hypothetical article, which are always the most fun to me. I like when uh, when people aren't scared to throw something kind of crazy out there. But um, it was something along the lines of, uh, you know, could there be something in the works to? I know typically you're not going to see coaches be traded, but maybe something where Roberts goes and coaches for the Cubs and Madden came and coached for the Dodgers. Like, obviously now with the Roberts getting the extension done, that's not going to happen. But uh, it just made me think, you know, because Friedman and Madden obviously had a, uh, you know, a relationship. And, in fact, Friedman going to the Dodgers is the whole reason why Madden went to the Cubs at that point. You know, he had a loophole in his contract that said he could leave the Rays. He had two weeks to decide, basically, if he got an offer, uh, you know, to leave the Rays if Friedman left. And, of course, he did. And uh, then, of course, you know, Madden wanted to go somewhere where he felt he could win. And I don't fault him for that. I was sad. But um, but I think – I can't think of anyone, although um, – I guess I don't know that much about, you know, what who's out there trying to be, you know, a manager right now, but uh, I think anybody that they put in that spot is isn't going to do what Madden did. But it is so funny how quickly he seemed to fall from grace, you know. I, I call him King Midas sometimes, you know, everything he touches turns to gold. But um but I mean, it, you know, he was the most beloved man in Chicago, you know, basically. He ended the curse and then all of a sudden now they're like, nah, maybe maybe we'll try somebody else." the same thing it's insane so I, I think you guys i think you guys agree with me then that the 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 whole thing by the way you, you you're not in a real bad situation there liz with madden gone and now uh, the devil raised with kevin cash in place and, and we've already i've already well after three, years about, of, after three years of complete hell like pretty much i guess if you have to go through hell for a few years to get a serviceable manager and not all of it's his fault but uh, I, I don't know. It just it just seemed painful to me to listen to him talk sometimes, and I, I look forward to this year being different, you know, and and trusting him more. <laughs> but um, but but go on. I'm sorry. Well, one okay. thing with um, with Madden and the Friedman thing that you mentioned, I actually when I was talking to, I think it was an SB Nation blogger last week, I brought up exactly that, you know, because. Roberts was still in limbo and, and, you know, a little bit of disarray with the departure of Zaidi. But uh, I I asked if if that could be a possibility, if maybe Madden does end up in L.A., if, if they don't extend Roberts beyond the option because it's all time perfectly at that point. But the one thing I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile is with that front office being as analytical as it is, I mean, there's no way. Like, if Madden shows up in L.A., that's his team, and, and he's managing it his way. 
you know, nobody's going to hand them a binder and say, okay, this is plan A, B, and C. Make sure you follow it exactly, you know, as it's laid out. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't picture that with Madden. And the writer said that, you know, it could be a possibility, but, um, you know, but I just couldn't get past that. Yeah, well, and, and maybe they would trust Madden more. I mean, he kind of played by those rules. I don't know how much he necessarily did it with the Cubs, but definitely with the Rays, he, he kind of had to. I mean, what did he really, you know, he walked into nothing, you know, and turned nothing into something, at least for a couple of seasons. So I, I think he kind of played those same those same rules, maybe not to the degree of, you know, sitting your best hitter, you know, but uh, but at least to, to some degree. So maybe since he's already kind of on that, on that wagon, I guess, maybe, maybe they would have given him more rain, you know, versus, uh, Roberts. I don't know, but Madden's also a SoCal guy, you know? So, I mean, he's, he came from the angels and I think he still lives there, uh, in the off season, even though he still does a lot of business down here. But, um, but, uh, so I, I really saw that as a, as a serious possibility. I could totally have seen that happening, but, uh, but yeah, I doubt, I seriously doubt that that, that would happen now. Well, here's one for you. If Boone is terrible this year and that team is just a dumpster fire and absolute circus, who's to say he doesn't end up in pinstripes? Oh, 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 oh God. Oh. I really, really hope You're going to have nightmares for the next year now. Um, God. One last note. <laughs> yeah, it could happen. It could. Ha- I wouldn't say. I mean, I'm not That's keeping. True. I'm not keeping Boone if Madden's out there, and they'll pay him the most money if they want him bad enough. So, um, uh, that's true. That's true. Last thing, uh, just uh, an, somewhat of an update on Evaldi. Uh, Ken Rosenthal uh, just tweeted uh, about ten minutes ago. Oh, actually, an hour and fifteen minutes ago, that. Uh, <laughs> a little off on that one um that there's no deal between the two sides yet between Evoldi's uh agents and the red sox but it is indeed becoming increasingly likely says rosenthal who is basically the cia director of major league baseball like once it comes through his office it's usually um you know pretty pretty well clear yeah he he breaks a lot of the big stories and um was all over the exclusively had the chris sale story like two hours before it happened and he he kept saying they're still talking they're still talking and then yeah in the afternoon uh you know the deal happened moncada and kopak went to chicago and we got chris sale so Maybe uh, by the time we wake up, I don't know. I what could the holdup be, really? He's passed his physical, so you know. I mean, if it's a straight up four year deal, I don't. I don't know. Maybe maybe if all these can't be doing their due diligence. They could be trying basically. to do a, la- a lackey a lackey uh, protection in place. Yeah. Um, if you if you recall, John Lackey with his was it his shoulder. Um, I can't recall the exact injury, but they had identified a potential issue, and it actually happened, and they got that final year for $500,000, which they then traded. Um, but that that might be something that could be a factor where they're trying to build in a protection. It could be. It could absolutely which, by be. The way, which, by the way, Terry, 
I would think if that's something that takes place, um, that may, may make people that are in your camp a little bit better about the deal. Well, I mean, he was out. Yeah, I don't want to get into it again. I, I still don't like it. Um, the, the thing with Lackey, though, is I think he was damaged goods right from the get-go. I mean, he was terrible, you know, those first, you know, 2010, and then he was on and off the DL in 2011 before he finally had the surgery. But John Lackey was a postseason god, you know, close to Kurt Schilling numbers, you know, just super reliable. Not that, not that Evaldi, I guess, didn't this year either, but... But, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I know I'm going to be in the minority, you know, when that when that domino falls, and it looks like it, it's going to probably, probably by this time tomorrow. But whatever. I'll, uh, well, there'll be plenty of heated podcasts in uh, May and June if, uh, if he doesn't pitch well. Let's put it that way. For me, anyway. Well, he wouldn't be getting elite money at the numbers we talked about. So they're not going to ask him to be an elite guy. They're going to ask him to be a third or fourth starter. Yeah. So that, I just don't see why why there's, um, you know. But, again, I, like you said, I, I don't know that we need, necessarily need to, you know, revisit our first topic. But I, I don't have any mouthwash next to me. But, I mean, David Price is honestly the only sure bet to me. Porcello could be phenomenal, so could Rodriguez, so could Sale, but there's, you know, there's plenty of room for any of those other three or four guys to not do well, and that that's what scares me. And I don't disagree with you, but what I like about the Red Sox starting pitching, and this will be my last point, is the sum of all the parts. They're going to have Sale, Price, Erod, Avaldi, hopefully. Um, Wright should be back. Um, Velasquez, uh, you know, whoever is the non-roster invitee, they seemingly do every year. They're going to have six or seven, eight starting pitching, major league starting pitching um, ready guys. And I just like that if one or two have trouble getting healthy from the, the long playoff run, you still have guys there. There's protections built in when you have that much depth. And I agree with you, and I would take it a step further. I'll, I'll guarantee you that one or two guys have a problem getting ready early in the season as a result of the October. So when you sign someone like Avaldi and you have all these parts and you add them all together, whichever way it breaks out, I think you're going to be okay. And it's one of the reasons why I like them. Uh, to be a, and I agree, they're not going to win 108 games, but they're going to be successful, and I still think they're better than the Yankees. And the Yankees have a similar, you know, similar probability, I guess, of not being well. And I think the Red Sox are in Severino's head. You know, Cora seemed to figure out that he was tipping pitches, and that seems to be one of Cora's great strengths. You know, as a manager, he just seems to be able to spot that, which is. A nice advantage for us. So, you know, I think we have the edge over Severino. Who knows what you'll get out of Sabathia. You know, Paxton could very well. I mean, he could be their Erod in terms of um, durability. 
and uh, Tanaka usually isn't solid until the second half. So there's plenty of room for them to have their own issues as well. So that's that's one thing that I you know kind of calms me down a little bit. But, um, but I yeah. agree. And the other thing is we're going to be talking in the next two weeks or a month. I would uh, maybe a month about who they add to the bullpen to address what I still think is our big, biggest week, you know, is our biggest weakness. So, but, uh, you know, at least we're not the devil race, right? Liz? <laughs> <laughs> Always got to get those jobs in. Even, even when I listen, I when I'm not on the show, you're like, just, say something like, just for that, they're going to win the division. Like, like, no, like yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. They can come out of nowhere. Who knows? Who knows with them? But, uh, but yes. The Devil Rays. Ugh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll have to do a Devil Rays podcast, uh, you know, sometime during this off season to give your team that's due uh, course because we do appreciate you. Uh, despite the fact that you are a Devil Rays fan, you certainly give a lot to the Red Sox podcast, so we appreciate it. Uh, Terry, I, I have nothing further at this point. Okay. The the defense rests or whatever. <laughs> the prosecution rests. Um yeah, I. Kyle, you're on, my man. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah, I'm I'm good as well. So uh, chances are by Sunday night, uh, you know, Nathan Navaldi will uh, have signed a contract, and uh, if we're really lucky, I don't know, maybe we get Zach Britton or someone. But we'll we'll go over all that and uh, you know, kind of preview the winter meetings and uh, what we expect out of that and discuss whatever uh developments take place so thank you guys great show no uh catastrophe with the uh equipment so that's good and uh we'll uh we'll be in touch throughout the week good night sounds good have a good night stay warm episode 106 in the books pretty good show a lot of developments probably one of the busier hot stove weeks so far as uh we continue to forge towards christmas and uh we'll uh be with you throughout and uh like i said sunday night episode 107 so have a good uh rest of your week take care the kind of insanity yeah, I live and die with red socks bright for eternity I sleepwalk through the days when there's a west coast swing married to the TV and the radio for tickets in October insanity yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity